Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Seven years ago, college wrestler Damian Hurd disappeared from a party in Gunnison, Colorado. Everyone had been drinking or whatever, the usual party scene. When, how, and why he left are questions I need your help to understand. Nobody's heard from him. No, it's just like he disappeared. From Cold Case Productions and Podcast One. Final Days on Earth, The Life and Death of Damien Hurt. I'm your host, Claire Sanima. Join me April 20th for the season premiere. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is another Tears podcast with Matt Moore of the Action Network and really fun prompt this time. We talked about teams that we trust most and definitely not most in the playoffs this year that led to a lot of really interesting conversations and clarifying stuff, I think for both of us. So hope you really enjoy it. Well over an hour on this one, lots of meat to delve into. Hope you really enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for doing it. I love being on this podcast with you. I think it's so cool that we've kind of like built this and that I get so many comments, Danny, from people. They're like, I love your tears pod with Dan LaRue. Like every, like I get lots of comments that folks love this podcast. So uh, I'm grateful for you to continue having me. And I'm grateful for you for continuing to do it. And as usual, you pick the criteria and I will let you explain it. So we're doing trust. It's all about trust today. That's our tears pod for today. Um, I realized that I'm working on a big piece of the Action Network, so I'm knee deep in this about the idea is the difference between the regular season and the playoffs. And I don't think that's ever been wider right now, that there's just different things about the regular season and playoffs that are so fundamentally different that you honestly have to evaluate teams differently because their record is not indicative of how much you can of how it's really not indicative of how good of a playoff team they'll be. So the question is in a playoff environment, how much do you trust this team? So do you trust them to be anybody? Do you trust them to compete with teams that are better than them? Do you trust them to compete um, with teams that are at the same level? Or do you feel like they could get got by pretty much anybody in the league? That's uh, our tier structure for today. And when you consider, I'll use the term baggage, the specific baggage of some of these teams, like I, I consider that, you know, like it is because trust, remember, trust isn't how good are they? Trust isn't all of these other things, though those all factor in. It's also, have you burned me before? Is there reason to believe that this year is different? All of those sorts of things. And that's why my tier one is only one team. And yes, they're injured right now. And maybe I should be more scared of that. But that only team is our reigning champions, the Los Angeles Lakers. 
I mean, they've got to be there. There's no way of getting around it. Um, I will say, like, I think, honestly, part of one of the reasons why they've kept the trust is because, look, the the leftovers, as it were, have not thrived without LeBron and AD, nor should you expect them to. But they've held the line. They're hanging in. Like, they're not falling out of the playoffs. And they have had the second-best defense in the league since AD and LeBron went out. To me, the reason that's important is those two that that team is what they're built on like they are built on defense that's a frank vogel team they know their identity and without those guys they haven't gotten away from that identity so if you look at like what the formula is the defense is only likely to get better when those guys return and the offense the one weakness for them a significant weakness for them immediately becomes it helps everybody it helps the shooters get more open it helps the cutters get more open uh, it provides more physicality to get offensive rebounds. Like everything improves for them, and so I think that uh, you have to include them. There's just I, I think I a, a number of people I think were like, ooh, like let's see, because I don't know how good this team is, um, you know, without those guys. And and it was kind of an opportunity to kind of get a look and go like, look, is this team really weak if LeBron and AD can't carry them? And I think what we've kind of found is. They're weak, but they're not so weak that it's going to be a problem where you should have concerns about them in a playoff series. Yeah, I mean, I so I think that the last month or so has also really bolstered not only Frank Vogel's coaching credentials, but also his coach of the year credentials, should that matter. I don't think he's going to win it, but to just be in the conversation. And I still have some concerns about, you know, will they be able to generate good offense when LeBron is not on the floor? And, you know, like, is Schroeder that guy? But compared to some of the other things, I mean, the biggest reason that I have them in a tier by themselves is... A key question for any team is the synergy, the meshing of their star superstar players. And we don't have those concerns with the Lakers. I mean, if they're healthy enough to play, LeBron and AD fit together beautifully. Davis was the most valuable defensive player in the playoffs last year. LeBron was unbelievable. He was the best overall player. And while it is possible that AD's jump shot isn't quite what it was then because that was ridiculous and everything else, the fundamentals are so insanely strong that even if some of those other things have some regression, which is far from guaranteed, all of it fits together. And yeah, I have th- there there is a path for other teams to beat them. But in terms of trust, I think I have a pretty good idea what they're going to be. Absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, you mentioned the Davis jumper. I think that is kind of a, a thing to watch for in the playoffs. I think also a lot of it is, you know, think of the margin for error. So you'd say like, OK, but it's not going to be like it was last year. All right. Well, they won in five in three straight rounds and then in six. So like what what does more of a challenge mean? They get the six games, they get the seven games. You know, do you not feel confident in LeBron being able to handle a game seven now? I will say I have a little bit of I have my only trepidation with them. My only trepidation is that we haven't seen this team in a really tense game like that heat series went to six. It could have been over in five like they were never losing that series. Uh, And because Anthony Davis hit the game winner in game two versus the Nuggets, we didn't see them in it. Like I want to see the Lakers in a real spot. Like, hey, this is like this is adversity. Like, okay, you're down in a series, or if you don't win this game, it's tied and you're going to seven. I want to see how this team reacts in that environment, right? Because all they've really had is they've only played from a position of strength. And I kind of want to see what happens to them um, if things were to get more difficult. My top tier, which by the way is titled With My Life. So I trust these two teams with my life. Um, I have another team in it. Do you want to know which one it is? I do. The Brooklyn Nets. They're my tier two by themselves. So, <laughs> so we're really so, close. Yeah. So so here's what's interesting about the Brooklyn Nets. This is like this. Whenever I started, I saw some of these signs early and it started to slowly kind of ramp up. Um, a lot of their defensive metrics, 
that looks so terrible. When you get under the hood, you see a lot. Uh, things look a lot better. Um, here's a great example. So we know that in the playoffs, defensive versatility is a really big key. You want to be able to do a lot of things. I don't think anybody like needs the ability to play drop defense because everybody can play drop defense. Like it's pretty easy. The big backs up, everybody stays home, right? You help from the you help from the weak side if you need to, and you try and recover to the corner. Like those mechanisms are simple, which is why everybody runs it in a regular season. However, the number one team per second spectrum this season in running switch defense is your Brooklyn Nets. They run more switch than any other team as a screener, and as a result, um, they are. 11th in points allowed per chance in those situations what's really notable i think about that is uh, so many of these teams like the thunder have only run switch 392 times compared to for the nets it's 1348 over 1348 so almost a thousand times more they've run switch the sixers almost entirely run ice drop like they just ice everything with mb which makes sense given your personnel but with the Nets, we know that they can pursue at the perimeter with their versatility if they go small. We know they can switch if they go small. We know that they can play drop if they put DeAndre Jordan in and they're playing a team where that makes the most sense to play or Claxton. Like, you can do these things. Claxton's a big part of this is that his defensive versatility opens up a ton for what they're able to do. So this, the, we know the offense is going to be great, right? It's it's great shot makers. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are two of the top three players Minimum 100 pull-up attempts in effective field goal percentage. The third is Donovan Mitchell. So it's Donovan Mitchell and then those two. Like, they have great shot makers. They have three-point volume in both the Stars and Joe Harris. They have rim finishers. They do have some guys that can hit cuts and things like that, like Jeff Green. The Nets, as the season has gone on, I have become more and more convinced that they are the team in the Eastern Conference. And so um, I actually think that because they haven't played together, that is masking a lot of of where we would get to in terms of like, wow, the Nets are just better than everybody else in the East. Another thing that is being masked by this, which is incredible when you think about the success they've had in some of these like one-star lineups, is think about the compression and condensing that happens in a playoff rotation. Like a a star-heavy, a high-end talent-heavy team benefits more than a deep team because you are taking out minutes from less capable players, you're giving them to stars. And so for the Nets, that does two things. One, more time with their players together. Obviously more time than they've had this year, but just conceptually if they had been healthy. And... The Nets, especially offensively, you can compare this to the the other, the furthest extreme, which would be the Warriors, of a team that, you know, like, there is, it is almost impossible, barring foul trouble, to think of a configuration that the Nets could reasonably put out there in the playoffs that I would not trust offensively. Like, that, it's just, right. th- so... It isn't the, like, can they survive the non-Embiid minutes? Can they survive the non-Curry minutes? The Nets don't have that problem. There will be some lineups that get a little funky, that maybe the de- maybe they have to, N- Nash and the coaching staff have to adjust the defensive theory, things like that. But I also think that part of the reason defensive versatility matters a lot in a seven-game series is that you learn a lot and there are certain things that work and certain things that don't. I'm not sure that I trust this staff just because they haven't been together to push all the right buttons in a way like, let's say, Miami has. But they have reasonable personnel for it. And generally speaking, when you're only thinking about one opponent, it's easier to do that sort of thing. And there's no reason not to believe in it. It's just, you know, I believe in what I've seen so far a little bit more. So yeah, I think that I trust the Nets more than a lot of these other teams. And then the other reason why they're higher is because they don't have the same baggage. They don't have the same weight. And 
some of them do individually, but not that many. I mean, Durant has been an unbelievable playoff performer when he has been available. Kyrie, you know, it depends a little bit on the circumstance, and Harden has has stuff, but Harden's in a fundamentally different circumstance. So there is a part of it for me that is also like, you haven't burned me like the Clippers have burned me before, so I also trust you a little bit more. <laughs> my, my heart doesn't have the pain, and it might get it, but it doesn't have it right now, and that matters. Right. I, I think that, that's I think it's absolutely on point. You know, I think it's it's a question of like, can you realistically see the Nets getting tripped up by insert team? That's not like a major team. Like if they lose the Sixers, there's no shame in that. Like the yeah, Embiid's playing great. They have they have a, a matchup advantage with Embiid. If they were to get beat by the Bucks, I think there'd be a little bit more because it's like all these other teams could knock off Milwaukee and you couldn't. But like Milwaukee is a really good team and they do have Giannis and they have they have Drew Holiday and like, you know, I actually I'm going to have to really dive in. I, I it's interesting. I'm higher on the Nets than I've ever been. But there is that part of me that keeps looking at the Bucks and being like, that's interesting, though. That's it. Like, that's interesting. I just want to see it. Um, but like you can't see the Celtics catching the Nets. You can't see the 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 heat even catching the Nets. You can't see any of these teams like really getting them off guard. Well, and, um, and, and so the, I think that's one of the reasons why you can trust them. I mean, this goes without saying, but I think it's worth saying that the Nets having those pull-up guys, as you talked about before, if it's a tie game with a minute and a half to go, yeah. you trust that they're going to get buckets. Now, they might not get them every time, but that they're going to get, and, and the undeniability, it's a term that I like to use a lot, and the Nets have a crazy amount of undeniable guys, and they also have ways to make other players harder to stop, too, because you'll have all the attention they have to their own, just like, who has the defensive personnel? And also, if they have to care about defense for one minute, a minute and a half, I think they can do it. Like, I'm not, I'm not particularly concerned about that. And so, yeah, I think they're in that. My next tier, so technically my tier three would be your tier two, just because I separated out the Nets and Lakers due to some track record and everything else. I called it, will it be different this time and the Suns? Because it's teams that are very talented and... There has been a reason to, you know, like something has happened that has shaken me a little bit with them and the Suns who just haven't been here before. So it's a it's a different conversation, but I think they're kind of around this level of talent, which is really interesting. Uh, so mine, it's the Clippers, the Bucks, the Sixers and the Suns. Um, and there, we'll talk about some of the teams that are not in that group, but the Clippers and the Sixers and the Bucks are just incredibly talented. They have players that you could reasonably see as the best player in a, in a series against anybody. And the Suns, you know, maybe Booker, maybe CP gets there, but also they're just, they're ludicrously deep in a way that I think is actually beneficial in the playoffs. Right. Um, so for me, I'm my tier two is much more narrow. Um, if tier if tier one is with my life, tier two is with my car, but not with my life. So <laughs> I will let you drive my car, but I am not going to get in the vehicle with you. Um, Sixers are there and the Clippers are there. Uh, I think those two teams have earned a better benefit of the doubt than the than the teams behind them. Um, the Sixers Look, they should have lost that Raptor series two years ago by more. Like they, the fact they hung in that series was pretty good. Last year, no Ben Simmons, and they just didn't attack the right matchups versus a Celtics team that had no answer for Embiid. Um, now, I still have concerns because we talked about like those tough pull up shots. Like, who's making that tough pull up shot for the Sixers? If they're if it's five if it's five points in that final five minutes. Where are you getting offense from? Because if you give it to Embiid, they're going to double him, and he turns the ball over about 12% of the time. 
It's tough. And like, like Tobias Harris still... has been nails in those circumstances, mm-hmm. but do you trust yeah. that that's just the way he is now, that Tobias Harris is just this clutch guy? <laughs> I'm not all the way there, even though he's yeah. had some big performances in big games. Like, I think the model probably here, honestly, is, and this is going to be kind of a weird comparison, but bear with me here, okay? Okay. Embiid is Kevin Garnett. Simmons is actually Ray Allen, that he's a specialist, okay? Like, defense and cuts to the rim. It's the inverse of he's Ray Allen. He's a specialist in the opposite can, things, like, but there's, Allen. yeah, that's, I, I, that's interesting. Yeah, and then, so the question that you have then is, do you trust Tobias Harris to be Paul Pierce? That's the question. Is can Tobias Harris be Paul Pierce in those situations? And it's not going to have to be just once. Like you're going to need, like even if you win, uh, you know, two games comfortably in a series, a top flight series versus you know, the Bucks, can you knock them off twice in close games to get to that four? And so I think that's the question. And like I think they have a, a pretty good chance. But, you know, the Clippers, it's mostly just like, look, the Clippers are still vulnerable in certain matchup situations. The Suns is the team I keep looking at with the Clippers. That's that's the team I keep looking at and being very like, hmm, I wonder how that's going to go. Because the Suns are maybe the only team in the West that if you switch versus them are really comfortable with it. Like the Lakers will be comfortable with it to a degree. Um like Davis will will just do the same stuff that he always does, and if he's hitting jumpers, you win, and if he's not, then you lose. But I feel like the the Clippers, if they switch versus the Suns, Devin Booker is going to be like, I'm fine with that. I will go to the mid range and I will hurt you with it. Chris Paul, same deal. Like they will just do that. And if the Clippers drop, which they do so often with Zubac, who has been such a plus for them, like that was a big problem for them versus the Nuggets. It wasn't just Jokic toasting Montrez Harrell. It was also that when they played drop. Jamal Murray got lots of looks and the Suns have the personnel to really punish you. And if you help off, they will, they have Booker and Paul are really great passers and they have the three point volume, I think to get it done. Um, the Suns have weaknesses, I think in certain situations, but the Suns ability also, if the Clippers were to go super small, right. And they go, okay, we're just going to, we're going to play Morris at five again. We're going to try that or Serge Ibaka, right. Then the Suns are going to go, that's fine. We're going to counter with Saric. So they have the kind of, and this is kind of thing is the Clippers aren't matchup proof. That's one of the reasons I think that they're here, combined with – I said this last year. It was a reason why I trusted the, the Nuggets in those key situations late in the series. Kawhi Leonard's performance in Game 7s is overstated. He is not the clutch monster he's made out to be. Great player, incredible player, top 10 player in the league, top 5 player in the league. Not this all-time closer type dude. He has some duds in big game situations. And so I trust the Clippers a lot. I like them. I have I have built a position on them. Um, that is not equal to my Lakers position, but is up there. But uh, I still have uh, some reservations about the Clippers. And uh, part of the fascination of a Clippers-Sun series, which to me is feeling more likely now with kind of the way a couple of things have broken over the last few weeks, is the idea that, like, depending on how you want to structure it, like that both teams have personnel to protect the rim, but both teams also don't necessarily care about getting there, just depending on which way you want to play it. And so the the... Shell game, just kind of the way that all works out is really, really interesting. And Mikhail Bridges would be a really big part of that series. There's, there's a lot of a lot of things that, yeah, that, that make it fascinating. And I, I have the Suns here also just because they have enough, like, they, they have a, a thing that's sort of similar to last year's Heat in that there are a couple players that I don't necessarily, like, love or trust, but they have enough other options that I think they can cobble something together. And it's funny that Jay Crowder is a commonality between both those teams. Like Jay, I don't, you know, like Memphis, Jay Crowder is still lingering in my mind. You know, you have all that kind of stuff, but okay. If Jay Crowder's not working, then you don't have to play him. They have enough other dudes to make it work. Right. Uh, My third tier, 
is I'll trust you with my Xbox, but not much more. <laughs> so I'll give you my – if you're like, I want to borrow your Xbox for the weekend, you can have my Xbox. But that's that is the amount of trust I'm, I'm willing to give you. That's uh, let's see, five teams: okay. the Bucks, the Suns, the Heat. This is going to shock you: the Charlotte Hornets. Whoa! Yeah, and the San Antonio Spurs. Those are the five teams that I trust. Um, and you'll notice many better teams are not in that tier because this is about like: do I trust them to perform to expectations? Do I trust them to perform at or above expectations? And that's where we're at here. The bu- and this 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 is made up of the Bucks and Suns are here because the proven time and time again that they are matchup vulnerable and have just melted down in key situations. The Suns just have so much inexperience, and we do not know how Devin Booker, how DeAndre Ayton, how Mikael Bridges, how Cam Payton, how Cam Johnson, how those guys are going to react in a playoff environment. And not knowing that, you have to have a little bit of hesitancy because of, self- of how often we've seen. 82 game players shrink when they become 16 game players. We just don't know. They might be both, but we don't know that. So I have to have a little hesitancy on that. The Heat are interesting because it's like, look, I love Spolstra and Jimmy Butler and Bam Bio and Goran Dragic in these like tough game situations to compete. But the team has just not been good this year. They haven't. Like, they just haven't been good. And, and, and if you, yeah. And so here's the thing. So like early on in the season, I was willing to write off some of Miami struggles due to the crazy circumstances with guys being out, COVID injuries, everything else. They still haven't been, you know, like quote unquote full strength, but they've never looked right. And the, some of the struggles that they've had make me question what I've seen before. Like Tyler Hero has not been anything close to the guy that he was in the bubble, maybe for like limited, limited things. Dragic is looking old to me. Like not saying he'll be there forever, but like I, I've been watching, when I've watched them the last couple of weeks, including some games that they've won, I've wondered whether the bubble was the aberration, you know, like whether it's the, the weirdness of having all that time off. So Dragic was able to look like a million bucks and because of how Spell had managed him during the season, whether it was just, you know, certain guys just being hot, like Heroes Jumper looking better than, than it did. Robinson hasn't been as good a player this year as he was last year. And so it's funny, though. I still have them. Yeah, like, I have them in my tier four, which is roughly equivalent to this because of their defensive versatility and because Spo, I think, is a great coach and everything else. And because it's like the could thing is still there, but I'm just so much less confident in, in that it's will instead of could. Yeah. I, I think that's 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 reasonable to say. It's like you know they they're it's like I don't want to rule them out. You know if I give them my Xbox, I'm like no, there's like a pretty good chance that it comes back like in in good peace. But if I get back and there's like um oh, and the, the disc drive's not working anymore, I'm not gonna be shocked. Cause I'm like man, the Heat did it again. Like that that to me is not uh, like ultra surprising. I will say if we're talking about versatility though, um you know I would go back to that metric on switches. Which look, I don't think that the switch is a, is the end all be all that it used to be. I think you need to be able to do like the the Raptors have taught us that you need to be able to do everything 2018 you just need to be able to switch like that was it like can you go small and can you switch and if so you can compete in the playoffs now i really think it's about can you go big and play at the level of the screen um and then if you need to can you switch can you ice versus certain teams that want to get into the middle and attack the pain and then um can you do all these different things like how much versatility do you have defensively the he have a lot of defensive versatility you know who also has a lot of defensive versatility, and this is really this is really sh- shocking to me when I looked it up. The team that has played the second most switch this season, Danny Larue, is your Charlotte Hornets. That is the team that has switched the second most. They've done a lot and, of different stuff this year because they also played a bunch of zone yeah, at various moments in time. They played zone too. Yep, yep, yep. 
And uh, they are one amongst switch teams, three, four, five, six, seventh best in the league in def- in defense when switching. I started doing a deep dive on them the other day. They are surprisingly good. Like PJ Washington goes from a terrible drop defender and a very bad at the level defender to like he's pretty good if you just tell him no, 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 just switch it and just keep him in front of you. And not bad. What's what's so interesting about the about the Hornets is I had posited that with Lamelo a while back that like he might not end up being a bad switch defender because it's like you know the, the point of attack stuff can be a little bit complicated but like you know I think he could do a decent job. PJ Washington makes complete sense in that Hayward has at different moments in time done that and also they have something that the Rockets did which is their smaller players in terms of stature are pretty strong like Terry Rozier like Rozier you know makes sense that 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 would work he kind of fits into some of those rocket molds that that they you know like Eric Gordon and some of those other guys. And also, they don't have the personnel to be good at anything else. So in certain ways, it also makes sense to like, you know, they don't have a great, they don't have a a theory of drop coverage particularly strong. Now they could get that in time. And it's part of what I would love to see Charlotte do in the offseason, whether it's this year or next year. Um, But that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I think um, – I and you combine that with their three-point volume, right? Because they're top 10 in three-point attempts and top 10 in three-point percentage. So you have this Hornets team that if you're going into it and then you're like, well, okay, but yeah, but they're star level. All right, but you got LaMelo and you got Gohan playing at a great level when he comes back. Like he's been playing – now maybe he comes back and he struggles with injury. Sure. But like I'm just going to say like I, I feel like I can trust them more than a lot of these other teams because I know that the Hornets are like, how are we going to beat you? All right, um, we're going to bomb from three, and we know that we can get those opportunities because of the guys we have to drive. We can put pressure on the rim with Cody Zeller and P.J. Washington, uh, and and we can switch on defense. We can play different different schemes, and we're going to be surprisingly competitive. Like I just think the Hornets are, are, are pretty surprisingly tough. The Spurs are here. And, like, I do not think the Spurs are a good team, but I just, like, look, we look back two years ago, the last time the Spurs were in the playoffs versus the Nuggets, and they dragged that team to seven games just out of sheer grit and discipline. This is the biggest thing. The Spurs will not beat themselves. You will not – you will – it's this, – this tier is very interesting because the Bucks are better than most teams, but they will absolutely beat themselves. The Spurs are not better than most teams, but they will not beat themselves. Like, you are going to have to beat the Spurs. Now, you can do that, but I trust the Spurs to play at that, at that kind of level, which is why they're in this kind of t- higher tier, which is surprising given the kind of talent that they have on board. I wonder about their starting five offense just when you face better opposition. Like, I think there could be some some real challenges there. Like, if, if a team has somebody to throw at DeRozan, just like where where does yep. it go for them now DeJounte has had some awesome games like he has had, he's had some some offensive performances where he's looked the best that he's looked to me period but then there are other ones that have been clunkers Derek White coming back from injury he hasn't looked like the guy yet I'm not saying he will never get there he's just not there right now so I I get what you're saying I have them a little lower just because I think I think their ceiling and floor are really close which you could argue is trust like the idea that they're that they're going to do that. And, and I think that the Spurs, when we're thinking beyond this season, their defensive capability has been kind of, let's call it underappreciated. Like, I think that, especially with Pirtle, who I've been very impressed with as a rim protector, the Spurs are doing a lot of the, like, when you, when you look through it, they're doing a lot of the kind of fundamental things that 
teams that are successful year after year defensively do. They're protecting the rim. They're not fouling a ton in those lineups. And when they have DeJounte out there, they're forcing a ton of turnovers. So I, I'm I'm more confident that the Spurs, depending on what happens with Pop and everything else, that they will be a playoff team moving forward. I think that they have that personnel. But I'm just a little larger. It's a difference in philosophy a little bit. Um, but we can move into my tier four, which has some of the teams you just discussed. But I called it still skeptical. And the Utah Jazz are here. I mean, the idea of how they can attack a switch defense. I talked with uh, Dan Devine on last week's pod about how I, I the way I crystallized it was this season has been put in a lab by peep to piss off Jazz fans who are frustrated that national people are still skeptical with them, where they have been the best regular season team in the league. But at almost every opportunity that they've theoretically had to prove themselves against good teams, either that team has had players missing, so they didn't get the opportunity, or they've fallen short. And some of those games, they looked pretty good. Like there were times against the that Clippers lost they had where they played a back, they played consecutive games, and one of them, the Clippers guys weren't around, and the second one they were. But if I, you know, you're betting your life, you're betting your Xbox, wherever you are with that, I'm just not there yet with them. Yeah, uh, they're in my fourth tier, which is hard pass with respect. <laughs> and uh, it's the Jazz, the Nuggets without Jamal Murray. Same. Uh, the Mavericks, the Celtics, the Pacers, uh, surprisingly. I, I'm pretty high on them still. The Grizzlies and the Warriors. Those are all teams that are in my hard pass, which is like, look, I think these teams are good. I think these teams have good players and good talent. And these are mostly like well-coached, right? Like, look up and down this list. Quinn Snyder, Michael Malone, Rick Carlisle, Brad Stevens, uh, Bjorkren, who I think is, is once the team gets healthy, I still think like when they get, they will work through these problems and figure out some stuff. Um, Taylor Jenkins, who's done great, and Steve Kerr. Like all these teams are well coached. All these teams have good players. All these teams have like one star that you can look to outside of the, the Pacers who have a, a number of them. Um, but I just can't trust them in these playoff environments for various reasons. Utah is really interesting because uh, they're very, very uh, knowledgeable and aware uh, fans and writers are quick to point out their success in various defensive situations this year. I just don't feel like any, like I don't feel like you can feel confident if it's, if it's Suns Jazz for whatever reason, like let's say something funky happens, it doesn't seem possible. But let's say we actually get a Suns Jazz series. I don't trust Rudy Gobert versus Chris Paul in isolation. I just don't think that's going to work out well. Uh, if it's Rudy Gobert versus LeBron, I don't trust him in that situation. If it's Rudy Gobert on a switch versus um, Kawhi Leonard, no sir, do not look good in that situation. I feel like they are too limited in what they can do. The caveat, I think, with the Jazz is the offense. Um, not Look, the three-point shooting is absurd. We can just agree that it's absurd. It's not necessarily higher than what you'd expect. But this is one of, the, one of the most impressive things about Utah is that their expected EFG does not is not greatly below their actual. Like They're not shooting that much better. They just take high-quality shots from good shooters. Right. Like Their, their, their shooting talent is crazy, and it is an important part of their regular season success. But I also think that – so there, the, the, the concerns for me with the Jazz kind of go in, in – parallel routes on both ends of the ball so if we're talking about defense it's the idea of a multi a multi high-end threat team so if if the other team has really one one thing they can do depending on who that one player is but in many circumstances i i think the jazz can handle that well they have intelligent personnel i think they have a really nice coaching staff but it's once you get into those multiple threats because when in those circumstances you spend a lot of time gap filling and mitigating 
And they just, I don't think they have the horses for that. I mean, the, the wing defenders are, are a big problem. And they have, they have some guards, but they don't really have guards with the heft to like switch into some of those matchups or to do something else. So it's just like, as you said, there are certain ones that are situation. And I think that it's the same sort of dynamic with them offensively. Like, I think they can handle themselves. I think they'll generate good shots. You know, like they're, depending on who they face, but I think in most likelihood, their 1-8 series will probably be pretty clean. But... When you get into a series against basically anybody else outside yeah. of the theoretical eight seeds, do I think, uh, well, let's exclude the Blazers because their defensive limitations, we all know. But do I think that they, you know, like against like a top five, a top four team in the West, do I think that they're going to gener- generate reliably good shots in the same way that they have in the regular season? No. And maybe they can make those at a higher rate than they have in the playoffs in other years. Entirely possible. But I I don't necessarily believe that to be the case because they have really good shooters, but if those shooters are significantly less open, how will they do? Right. Um, and that's where I think Mitchell comes into play, where I talked about Mitchell's made more spot-up jumpers, and he's been at a higher effective field goal percentage than anybody else in the league this season via second spectrum. So, like— this is where this argument always gets real tense with any sort of analytic minded person like Seth Partnow and I are always going back and forth on this because he thinks it's absurd to think that the best player on the Utah Jazz is not Rudy Gobert. And I'm just like, they are not going to get out of a playoff series because of Rudy Gobert. They can get out of a playoff series because of Donovan Mitchell. And like Mitchell almost won that Suns game for them. Almost won that Suns game. And yeah, shot a ton. But that's like how it's going to have to be in some of these situations. You're going to have to rely on, on Mitchell. Like he's going to have to be that guy. He's a guy that scored 50 in the playoffs last year. He's going to have to be that dude for them. Um, the Nuggets are, are just such a sad story because oh. I honestly think that like they would be tier two if it not for the Murray injury. Like I would trust them as much as I trust the Sixers and Clippers. Um, they had everything, and it Murray is just too much. And now it just becomes like, look, if they if they take away Jokic and they make Aaron Gordon and Will Barton hit open threes. Can those guys punish you enough? And the answer is like they can punish you more than Tory Craig could last year, right? But you needed Jamal Murray when Jokic is not having a great game to step up and deliver. Porter can do half of that. Like if you told me that Porter, even three fifths, right? If you told me Jokic had a bad game and so Porter stepped up and scored 35, yeah, I, I can believe that. If you told me that Jokic had a bad game so Porter scored 50, I don't think he's there yet. Just not yet. And that's a, it's a real shame, but they've got to be there. The Mavericks are mostly just a, for whatever reason, this team feels very much to me like a one step forward, two steps back, like very likely to just slam their head. I always think about it, and for some reason, this cartoon image comes to me, the the old cartoons where they would step on like the deck plank and the, the deck plank would, would throw up and hit them in the face. That's what I always imagine. Like the Mavericks will do six things really well and Luca will be amazing, but like all their stuff on the margins is very poor. Well, like they won't the get back they won't get back in transition defense and just right. be like, you could have or I mean like so we're recording this on Thursday. On Wednesday, they won the game against Memphis, but their late game execution was horrendous. Like they were they weren't getting two for ones. They they you know the the weirdness of Luca, I called it a glacial two where he, you know, was trying, I guess, to get a three shot foul, but that's an ex- yeah. that's an extremely dangerous way to like try to actually, you know, win a game like you're not you're generally not going to get an an and one call as like the swing factor there and then Luca puts puts on one of the most ridiculous game winners I've seen and Luca, Luca can do that like it's not the first ridiculous game winner he's ever hit but 
you you know process over results is generally the way that I think about it. And the other reason for Dallas, like with trust, and this is going to be a big factor moving forward for them, is as much as I like a lot of their guys, and and intellectually, you know, like Moxie Kleba and Josh Richardson, like they have a lot of guys that I've liked for years. But the idea of them being reliable playoff performers or knowing what you're getting from them or saying like, okay, if if they're focusing on shutting everybody else down, this guy's just going to handle his business. They just don't have guys that I trust in that. And that includes Porzingis. Right. Like they don't, they just, yeah. that is a huge problem. You know, like the, the lack of Danny Green's on this team. Now, Danny Green is not going to win you a playoff series, but he's probably not going to lose you one either. And it's just wild. And maybe I think Jalen Brunson has taken a real step forward this year. I'm excited to see what he can do in, a, in the playoffs, potentially in the play-in if they end up as the seven. But also, you know, Luka's heliocentric. You know, there's there's I, there was some encouraging off-ball stuff that they've done with him recently. But the Mavericks just not... Like, that. that's one of the weird differences between the Mavericks and the Clippers is that, like, the Clippers have a kind of a weird amount of those guys. I don't necessarily love all their fits with each other, but you know, like that they have, you know, like Ibaka and Marcus Morris and all these guys. I was like, okay, I feel like I know what I'm getting from them. And the Mavericks have basically zero of those guys. So we talked about the defensive versatility with these other teams, right? And so this is one where you go like, well, yeah, but Luka can beat the switch. Like if you dare Luka, if you switch versus Luka and just say, hey, I'm going to need you to score 50 every night. Luka and Doncic will do it. Like that's what's crazy. But that's not what teams will do. They'll put two up to touch. I will say like if the Clippers were to, to get the three and the Mavericks were to get the six, we saw it last year. So they probably just don't have enough offensive firepower. It would be a little concerning for me because the Clippers aren't great playing at the level of the screen. And that's like that's that's where they start to to actually I think struggle, um, but like if they face the Lakers, if they face the Nuggets, if they face um, even the Jazz to a certain degree, if they face the Suns, all those teams are going to play at the level and then ball deny. That's what they're going to do. Is they're going to play Luca two at the screen, get the ball out of his hands, and then ball deny as much as humanly possible. Uh, and I think it's going to make it harder for them. The Celtics are here because I just don't think that their offense can perform. Um, I did this. I did a game guide for Lakers Celtics tonight. The the Laker or the Celtics are actually really poor versus top ten defenses. Mm-hmm. If it's if it's easy, they can rip you apart. But if things get tough, their offense just bogs down. And I think if you look at Bucks Sixers, um, maybe not Nets, but Nets have more firepower. They're they're just you can't really trust the Celtics offense to be able to get the win. If they're in a four five, even I'm going to be concerned depending on who they face like Celtics Hornets. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but Celtics Hornets would be a, a kind of a concern for me. Celtics heat. I would probably go Miami in those spots. And that's after believing wholeheartedly that the Boston Celtics were the better team uh, last year in the Eastern conference finals. Uh, Grizzlies are here. Just not enough experience. Can't I'll just pass. I think they're well, I mean, good. The Grizzlies are a tear down for me for a very basic reason. They don't have enough guys that can shoot. And yeah. in a playoff series, that becomes a gargantuan problem where yeah. the amount of guys that you can leave on the like on the Grizzlies is insane <laughs> and, and and also they don't have enough guys that I trust on ball they also like the Dylan Brooks experience is the Dylan Brooks experience for better and for worse and I, that is in no way to say that I think the Grizz, the Grizzlies are in a bad place long term I actually think they're in a very good one not only because Jaron Jackson presumably at some point in the indeterminate future will be available to play basketball again I don't know when that point right. is maybe it's in 2025 but at that point but also because what they need is more gettable than what they have. 
And so, like, that is, you know, like, having John Morant, who I think will, you know, he, he, the three-point shooting this year is a concern, but, like, I mean, the athleticism, point guards, it can take them some time to figure it out, but you put more spacing around him, all these other things. And they don't need great, like, yeah, sure, if you could add a, like, Michael Porter Jr. level offensive talent, that'd be great. You could do all this other stuff, but if it's, you know, guys who don't mess up on defense and can hit open shots reliably, like, you can find players like that. They're, they are available in the league. Sometimes they're difficult. And that, like, so, but I don't trust them right now. Like that is that is a a very real kind of consideration for me. Um, so I'll go through briefly through my still skeptical skeptical here. There's a lot of commonalities to what you said, but um, some of the differences are interesting. So I have the Jazz, the Nuggets, post Jamal Murray. They would have been like you a tier higher for me. Celtics Heat. So I have them a little lower than you. Uh, Mavericks. We just talked about the Blazers and the Warriors. I you nearly convinced me to put Charlotte there, but I just want to see it a little bit more. Like you might. Be, I think you're right in all likelihood, but I'm just I'm a little bit risk averse. The same reason I don't have the Hawks in this tier. Um, and for the Warriors, it is this very basic point that when Stephen Curry is on the floor, they're a pretty good but not amazing team. And when he's off the floor, yeah. they're not particularly good. They're the worst team. And, and <laughs> so the worst team and of all so. Time. If you're putting it in the playoff context, and let's say you're assuming reasonable health for everybody involved, they're going to have that pretty good team more often than not, and that makes them that makes them dangerous. I don't think everything's going to be like that that win they had over the Nuggets. Unfortunately, when Murray got injured in the last minute, but they have that kind of talent, and Curry is Curry is un, is unbelievable. He's having he's having another you know another crazy season. We can appreciate it for what it is. He's averaging as we're recording this. He's averaging forty points a game for the first two weeks of April, um, and and in a lot of wins. Like this isn't just him you know throwing throwing gas on a fire that's out of control and it's not his fault. Um, and then I, the Blazers part of it is and and the re- so I was torn on them. It's funny Nate and I are actually working on our center rankings. I was doing those two things concurrently, and. The reason the Blazers are in this tier for me and not a tier below is that I think their defense can be quasi passable against medium opposition with Nurkic. Like the 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 Blazers as we've seen them this year would be a tier below, but I think that especially you know I, I do like Powell, I, I like all the stuff they do that they can be really interesting offensively and you know good enough defensively to make to make the offense make the difference and not against a good team to be sure not against a good team like i don't you know like it, but i tr- i kind of weirdly trust them i trust them to be what they are like in some ways i think of the blazers like you think of the spurs where i just feel so confident that i know what they are that i'm sort of trust that yeah i can understand that um Let's go back to Warriors for, for just a second. I think it's interesting because I, I have them in hard pass with respect, basically based off of the idea of like, look, Steph can just go super, you know, thermonuclear and, and do a bunch of stuff. I think it's going to be tougher because teams – we've seen teams in the in the past effort to get the ball out of his hands in a playoff context. And the answer was always, OK, but you're going to lose Clay Thompson. Like that's going to have to be the cost is Clay Thompson's going to go off for 37 points and that is not happening. Like now you're like – Go beat us, Andrew Wiggins. Have fun. Like, he will face the same coverage as Luka in terms of two at the level, picking up half court, two at the level of the screen, pressure to get the ball out. Draymond's going to have to make a play every single time. Like, that that Nuggets game was actually pretty notable in that, like, Draymond was hitting threes and hitting floaters and dunking at the rim. Um, and that's cool, but I think in most contexts, that's he's not going to be able to yeah, do but that. Yeah, but if you're gonna, if you're going to bet on that, then you're you're coming up snake eyes a whole bunch. Like that's just that's just yeah, the way it is. Yeah. And I, I think that the point about the other things that can beat them is is a really astute one. And when you think about 
a seven-game series, it is a very, very real limitation for the Warriors, especially when you tie in the proclivities and preferences of this coaching staff. We're like, Steve Kerr's instinct, if a team tries to take Steph Curry off the ball, will be like, sweet, I can do all this other stuff. But that other stuff isn't going to work this year because they don't have the guys. Like, oh, you're going you're gonna to trust Kent Bazemore to make good decisions in these circumstances? Like, they have a lot of guys that can defend, and that defensive acumen gives them a different kind of platform, but they're going to have to score. Like, that's, they just have and that is Stephen Curry. That is no one else. And I will also say that James Wiseman being injured and presumably missing the rest of the season actually makes me trust the Warriors more because yeah, for sure. they will be playing more competent NBA players and Wiseman will be better in future years than he is right now. If he's not, then that's a real problem. But giving more Kevon Looney, getting more of Draymond at center, and even if their wings aren't super good, just having more of them, having more Juan Toscano Anderson in the rotation is better for the Warriors' chances of winning a play-in game, winning a playoff series than James Wiseman. So I, I totally agree with you on Wiseman, which is I feel bad for the kid, but it's just it's plainly obviously true. A lot of this is, you know, we talked you talked about the when heat when Curry's not on the floor. Playoff rotation, let's say that his rotation is plays the entire first quarter, that's twelve minutes, and he plays uh the final eight minutes of the first half. So there's only four minutes that you gotta survive without Curry. I still feel like in those well, one, I feel like in those minutes, what we're going to see is we will see certain opponents be like, especially like, let's say they face the Clippers. The Clippers are, are going to absolutely be like, we're starting Kawhi second quarter because they usually do that. Uh, they do. They stagger those guys start a second anyway. Um, we're going to start Kawhi second quarter. And then in those situations, the Warriors can go from being down one to being down 13 by the time Steph gets back in. Right. And then Steph has to not only stay within range, but then the Warriors have to outscore a better team by like a huge factor just to get back into the game. Um, and so that, that that's how bad their bench is. It's it's very rare that I think benches matter in playoff series because of the rotations. But the Warriors are one where I'm like they literally cannot serve even the starters. They cannot survive without Steph on court. And so like that's gotta be it. Um, I have in my next year, we're now past the first half of the league. Sure. Uh, we are now getting into, if, if the other was hard pass with respect, um, this is, I would not trust you with making dinner. <laughs> so uh, if I'm going over to your house, I'm like, let's do takeout. If you're like, no, no, no I'm gonna, they're like, oh, no, I'm going to make a casserole. It's going to be great. I don't want to eat your food. Like, I do not trust you not to have accidentally oversalted or put glass in it. Like, I'm just not going to eat anything that you prepare. Hawks, the Knicks, the Bulls, and the Blazers. Um Here's my Blazers argument for you, okay? Um, with Yusuf Nurkic on the floor, you are correct that they have been better. They are plus 6.2 on the year. They have an on-court net defensive rating of 107.6, which is 9.5 points better than when he's on the bench. So there's a lot of evidence here that, like, okay, the real problem is just um, the the canter mellow minutes. I have two different kind of observations on that. Um, one... I don't have any faith that Stotts isn't going to run out Cantermelo. Like, Danny, I, I have bet against the Blazers in almost every single second <laughs> quarter this season, and I am up a lot of money on those specific bets. Like, if Cantor, if, if, if Cantor's not starting, he's going to play second unit. Melo has to play. I don't know why. It's just like a law of the universe. He's not going to bench him. There's too much respect for him in the locker room, which is a really, you know, this is the thing that frustrates fans because it's like, that should not be a reason why we lose a playoff series, but it absolutely will be. So in the second quarters, I think they're really going to struggle, even if Dame is holding up some of those units. I, like, this is part of it. The second quarters have been bad 
even with Dame. Dame can't pull them out of the funk that those guys get into. Um, the defensive rating with Nurkic on the floor would be tied with uh, Utah this season, which is great, right? Fourth in the league. I do feel like, however, he missed a huge chunk of the season where they played top-flight offensive opponents. And I feel like as time goes on, we will start to see more and more that Nurkic... I think there are ways to beat Nurkic specifically. Oh, They don't have are. a great coverage. Yeah, yeah. I think it's and more they, like they're like maybe like the 20th best defense in that circumstance, but that might be enough to kind of keep them in some games. So to me, this is one of the most wild stats. This kind of lines up with what you've been saying this, this whole year. The Portland Trailblazers, this is using cleaning the glasses version, so it filters out garbage time. When the Portland Trailblazers have played Damian Lillard, Carmelo Anthony, and Ennis Kanter together, they have a 120.4 offensive rating. That is incredible incredibly good even in this yeah. modern high pace era they're being outscored by almost two points per hundred possessions because their defense is that bad oh my gosh like so that bad. is unbelievable they have one of the best offenses in the nba in those minutes but their defense is so bad that they can't even get above water in those minutes it is absolutely incredible um final point on the defense early in the season the blazers tried out a new defensive scheme they were playing at the level of the screen, up to touch. They were playing um, playing at the level, trying to get the ball out of people's hands. And they were so bad at this, giving up over 1.08 points per possession, that Stotts had to completely reverse course and go back to drop. And that's what they have run for most of the season. So a lot of what you're seeing, Nurkic's numbers were real bad before the injury. One of the reasons why you're seeing this improvement is because they've gone back to the safe, reliable drop scheme that everybody runs in the regular season and that struggles in a playoff environment because and like that's a huge problem their switch numbers are terrible their ice numbers are terrible they have, the no, Blazers, they have no personnel for it i mean like right. it, it, it makes they have sense. No, they have none like there have been there have been teams like the i would say the rockets uh, with harden were in this point where they you switch because you can't do anything else there are certain teams that have to drop because you can't do anything else and i think that the blazers are probably yeah. first and foremost among that group I'm sure this question will come at some point, um, and I think I'd, I'm pretty sure I know your answer, but considering everything they've gone through, should we trust the Hawks a little bit more, or is it just like, you need to show it? They need to show it. Um, I also, like, a lot of it is that they've been, they've been, they're a team that has wild swings. Yes. So they go on these runs, and they look really good, and then they have other runs, and they look really terrible. Um, you know, the Hawks ultimately have settled in at a 119 defensive rating or not 119 that's too high uh a 112 defensive rating which is uh 19th in the league um this season and that's not surprising to me i think that they have the the ability to play better i think deandre hunter's injury has been a lot of it but i also this is where i've kind of gotten to with the hawks is like if deandre hunter is that important to you something is fundamentally wrong like i like deandre hunter a lot but he's a second year guy and a lot of like their foibles have been tied to whether or not he's been available. When he's played, they've been really good. When he has not played, they have really struggled. Now they've gotten it a little bit together. Um, I I I am I will say this: I trust Trey Young more in the playoffs than I think most people do. Like I, I think if you're going to trust Damian Lillard, I don't trust him as much as Damian Lillard, obviously, because how can you? But I trust Trey Young sixty percent of how much I trust Damian Lillard. Like, he's going to be bad defensively? Okay. Dame's bad defensively. Like, he's going to have to make huge shots? Okay. I believe that he can make those shots. So a lot of this gets into 
Um, I also just when you've got Capella and you're kind of reliant on him for your defense, you know what he's going to have to do. Now he could switch some, right, and he could do some different things, but I don't think they have also the physicality that they're going to need in the playoff series. That's a lot of it. It's also incredibly hard to run a lot of different schemes when you have Trey Young. Like if if you're going to run a switch, if you're going to run a switching system, then the other team is not going to have to do much work to put him into difficulty. Like that is it's it's very very easy. And I I'm a little bit less optimistic about Trey partially because foul drawing has become such a central part of his offensive success and as a practical matter, refs don't call things the same way in the playoffs. And so there will be there will be times that doesn't work. Now, I think Trey has things to fall back on, the parts that I thought were going to be his calling cards. And th- those are there. And as the Hawks have better surrounding talent, those become even more effective just because you can't bring as much other things. And John Collins being a more reliable shooter when he comes back, um, that opens up, you know, that opens up some things and actually, incidentally, in case you don't want Collins in the primary action, like you can, you can, the other team's not, not going to totally gum up the works because Collins can do some stuff. And he's, Collins also, to his credit, has been better this year in, as a complimentary defender. Like, I think that's it, you know, having Capella makes life a lot easier on him. And I think he's, he's better at doing a smaller job, which I think is good. But the idea of can they reliably get good looks reliably make those good looks and reliably make other teams lives harder when the Hawks are on defense. I don't trust them in any one of those three right now, which is why they kind of have to be in the need to see it. Um, we have a pretty similar group. I have the Pacers here in no small part because they TJ Warren's unavailable. Like if TJ Warren were coming back this year, I would have them higher, but and, and I, I like what Malcolm Brogdon's done. I think Levert has given them has given them a nice element. I'm really excited to see what the Pacers are next year, whether they keep this group together or honestly whether they change it, depending on what Pritchard does. But it they just look to me like high end, semi fun to watch cannon fodder. Like it's just like I have trouble thinking about how they would beat any one of the like real best teams in the East. But you know, if it's pace, if somehow it ended up being Pacers Hawks in the first round, sure, I could see that being interesting. That would be such a weird so, series, by the way. <laughs> one sub, by the way. I move. I had said the Raptors were in this. I do not trust you with making dinner. That is not true. Uh, or the Bulls were, rather. I said the Bulls were in this tier. They are a tier lower because I trust <laughs> I, the Bulls. I have the Bulls, so I have this need-to-see-it tier. I'll just run through them so everybody has it. Hawks, Hornets, Pacers, Raptors, Pelicans, Grizzlies, Spurs, Knicks. And there are different mm. levels of teams. It's like some are better, but I trust them less. Some are a little worse, but I like the Spurs. I know what they are more. Then in my tier six, so I have a t- I have then basically after that, I'll say summarize basically this. I the, my tier seven and eight. It's pretty sure they don't have it, and they don't have it. And then making the difference between need to see it and pretty sure they don't have it is one team, and that team is the Chicago Bulls. Mm. I, I've par- partially informed, you know, like watching. I've watched them fairly closely after the after the trade, especially the games that Levine has played in, which now. As of reporting, when we're well, as we've been recording this, Levine's going to miss some time. I don't count that really in here at all. I I don't see they, they they don't check either box offensively or defensively well enough for me to believe in them, and that's a big problem. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I I'm I'm resident Bulls defender for some reason. I don't know why I started being so high on this team, but I am now. Um, I still like their future. Um, look, they're going to be what they are going to be. You can't play like we talked about the Blazers. You can't play anything but drop a Vucevic. Like that's all right. you can do. Like in a playoff environment, no way. Um, but I do think that a lot of it, if you look at the numbers, they get nuked when Patrick Williams is on the floor because he's a rookie being asked to guard at a very high level on the wing. Like the, you need to surround Levine and Vucevic with high level defenders. And Patrick Williams, I think in four years is going to be a high level defender. He's a rookie. 
And then they get nuked in Kobe White's minutes because I actually just genuinely think Kobe White makes them worse. Like Kobe White has very little awareness of like what he needs to be for this team. He is trying to be Kobe White, which I understand. He wants to be his best version of himself. The team needs to be him to be something very, very different. I think long term they'll be fine. We got the news today that he's going to be out, that Levine's going to be out due to health and safety. So don't know how long he's going to be out. That pretty much nukes them. Like they may miss the playoffs now, which is a bummer or the plan, which is a bummer because I have money on them. But um, that's how that goes. The Raptors, I have a tier higher just based off of like, look, I, Nurse is still inventive and Lowry will be a pain, but we just know that this team just does not have enough firepower. I mean, or, the, the like, difference between the just, two is that we know that if they're healthy, the Raptors can defend. Like, mm-hmm, they're, yeah. I don't trust their offense at all. In some ways, I trust that I don't trust their offense. But yeah, my um, my second to, my second to bottom tier is I don't want to be in the same room with you. <laughs> and it's it's Pelicans, the Kings and the Bulls. Um, the Pelicans drive me nuts, man. Like they just oh. drive me nuts. They just like the, the very model of inconsistency. And like a lot of this is also like decisions that Van Gundy makes at times. And it's like the, just the overall, I think this is what's interesting about this exercise, Danny, is like how much of what we've described here today just boils down to decision-making both on a player and a coach level. And even though like, I, I think Stan Van Gundy has proven he's a good coach in this league, I do not trust his decision-making with this roster. And I do not trust the roster's decision-making when it gets on the floor outside of like Zion. I don't trust their decision-making like Brandon Ingram continues in late game situations to be like, yeah, Zion, but also me. And it's like, no, Brandon, no, it is Zion and you catch and shoot. And that's what you should do. Um, their defense is why is wildly volatile. Their offense seems to go from great to horrible. Like it's just infuriating to watch the Kings of the same deal where it's like they, they will have these sequences where you're like, they really got something. And then they just melt for an entire quarter. Really frustrating teams to watch in this tier. Yeah. And the, both of those teams being that inconsistent in some ways actually makes me feel better about them long term because having highs is better than not having highs. Like that's the, the and, and especially with the ridiculousness of, of what Zion has been doing the last couple months. I mean, that is that is a reason to be optimistic, even if building a team around that is going to take time and it's going to be difficult, especially with some of the decisions that David Griffin and, and Stan Van Gundy have, have made over the last little while. But, you know, having that is is better than some of the alternatives just because it gives you it gives you latitude. Like I would say, you know, the difference between the Pelicans and the Spurs, for example, the idea like, okay, there's something here that you can work around to build a potentially very good team. But the Brendan Ingram part of it, like I've been I've been hammering that nail since before Point Zion existed, but it's becoming even more frustrating for me. Uh, a quick Pelicans analogy for me is um, during during the pandemic, I've watched Succession, which I'd never watched before. And eventually I started calibrating that that show is very into reversals of fortune. And so whenever something is looking good for somebody, think that it's going to turn very quickly and turn very badly. That's basically what happens for me with the Pelicans constantly. Like they, they play a couple games well and you're like, oh, they're finally turning. They're finally turning the corner. Nope. They get like they get shellacked or they have that dispiriting mm-hmm. loss yep. to the Knicks. Or, you know, they, they lose, they had, they, they had a couple weird losses, and you're like, okay, like, they're, maybe they're, they just don't have it this year, and then they rattle off three wins in a row. Like, it is incredible. I, I feel like somebody who is in tune with that to a better degree, like, I mean, I think Bill Simmons used to say this about Manny Ramirez, where it's like, 
he knew when he was going to start doing better and when he was going to start doing poorly. Like I'm sure that somebody who who kept that their finger on the pulse of the Pels more than I can could probably predict when those are going to happen. I just know that at some point it's going to, and they're just going to burn me somehow. Um, my tiers. So uh, for the last two tiers, because like all these teams, I don't particularly trust. I, I the way I describe I, I thought about it was if they were foolish strength, especially re- eliminating discretionary sitting. Hello, Oklahoma City. Kudos, Sam Presti, you're doing the right thing, but also very frustrated. Um, so I'm for, I'm basically throwing availability out the window and basically saying, like, is there a theory of this team or is there not? And so am I pretty sure they don't have it? It's the Thunder, the Wizards, the Kings, and the Wolves, where it's like, there might be a passable team in here somewhere. The Wolves, when they've had Towns, have looked, you know, more like a team. Edwards has taken strides. D'Angelo Russell has been productive offensively. They did, they lost Beasley at the same exact moment in time, which sucks. But their defense is still terrible. All that kind of stuff. The Wizards, they just, they don't have enough. Like, that is, it, it has yeah. been, it is this incredible problem that I I would attribute it to, like, not be trying. There are two things. One of them is not, like, hitting many home runs in the draft. Part of it is giving up draft picks to do all that stuff. But then the other kind of element of it is that, to me, they've gotten on a version of the treadmill because they kept on wanting to be on—they wanted to keep trying to be decent. Like, they never bottomed out, and by not bottoming out, they never got the chance to get the guys who could help Bradley Beal push them over. I would agree with you with one caveat, Thomas Bryant. Like, that's that's my caveat here. But, like, I mean, the thing about Thomas if, Bryant, like, he's an intriguing offensive player, but he does not have the defensive chops to, like, to elevate. So, like, okay, interesting thing here, though. Um, when I watched him early this year, I actually really liked what he was doing defensively. The Wizards were a defensive tire fire, but a lot of that was, if you looked at it, their, their expected field goal percentage for opponent was so – they were – and they still are. This is the wildest stat all season to me. They are expected to allow the lowest effective field goal percentage in the league based off of shot selection. They allow the best position for where shots should be shot from in the league. They give up the highest. Now, Seth Barton now has done some work on this in terms of looking at – like, well, a lot of it is, like, misappropriation from stat crews about where the shot was located from, and it's a little yeah, bit like, noisy. like That's shots fine. that should be restricted area are logged as floaters, that kind of thing. Right, right. But – that still doesn't explain a difference between first and 30th. And I do think that if Bryant was there, just having another, because it's so many times they just don't have any physicality. They've got nobody underneath the rim to provide any sort of physicality. And I think Bryant would have at least provided that. And I think he, he honestly, I think he would have gotten a little bit better defensively this year. I'm not saying that they would have been good with him. I'm saying they wouldn't have been as bad. But the Wizards are ultimately in my last tier, which is titled, You Are Actively Trying to Harm Me and Everyone Around You. <laughs> And uh, that is the Pistons, Cavaliers, the Magic, the Wizards, the Rockets, sigh, the Wolves, and the Thunder. I still maintain that, if, that there are two things happen with the Rockets. Christian Wood got hurt, and, and Victor Oladipo just made it clear to everybody in the league, except Houston somehow, before the trade, that he only wanted to go to a large market. This is what was shocking to me, because like, when, they, when, they got, when the Rockets got Oladipo, I was like, Wall, Oladipo, Wood, that works. Like that's a that's a that works. And then I started asking around. They're like, uh, don't expect to be there long. And I was like, why? And they're like, he's made it so abundantly clear that he wants to New York or Miami. His agent has made that clear to everyone in the league. Um, but for whatever reason, Houston either thought he could flip him for more than they got, thought that they could convince him to stay, or simply had not heard that intel. Um, and it really is a huge miscalculation and makes the Harden trade that much worse. That that's how it wound up, you know, working, especially with how Levert looks. 
um, in Indiana. So that's one's a tough one. And the rest of these teams are just like, look, the Cavaliers, I just like they're two games out of the play in, so they wind up making it. I like Collins, Sexton, and Darius Garland, but you know, not enough there. And then the Pistons are are the Pistons. So that that is our tiers, and I feel really good about this this section. Yeah, I feel more I feel more confident that I don't trust the bad teams than that I do trust or do not trust the good teams. That that is absolutely for sure. Um question I always like to ask to to end this especially with you is we're about a month from the end of the season, but really let's let's think about the next couple of weeks. What are you looking for? What teams are you going to be watching? What players are you going to be watching? You know, it's an interesting question given how uh, I was disappointed that the Nets decided to I mean I know why they did they decided that the calculus was better to try versus the Wolves and give the Sixers game but that's a bummer um, I'm gonna be interested in how look you have to be you have to think it's compelling to watch the West play out yes. um, Phoenix isn't so far ahead that they're not catchable and then the rest of that race like we could very well wind up with Clippers Lakers first round we could wind up with uh, Nuggets Clippers first round if it's Nuggets Lakers that one's a bummer I think but um, that one's really compelling um, I am really interested in the play-in I'm one of the I think the only people that's really interested in the play-in um, for me like I'm comp- uh, this is why I think there's a pretty good chance that Dallas sneaks ahead of the Blazers and if that happens you have a real chance of Dallas versus Golden State Luka versus um, Steph or if Dallas gets out, Dame versus Steph in the first round in, in a play environment. Like, that's that's wild. If they were to get above the Grizzlies. Like, the idea of a of a Steph-Dame 7 versus 8 is – that is bonkers. I want to see if the Pelicans can finally kind of make a run. Um, and I think I'm, I'm a little bit interested in – you know, with Boston, what they're ultimately going to look like if they can find any, like, can Tatum make a real jump? Because that's their best chance of making a real run is whether or not Tatum can make a, a real leap there. And then um, I have a lot of money on Chicago, so I need them to get out of this pit that they're in very quickly. Those are the things that I'm tracking for the rest of the season. For me, top three in the East, um, hopefully we get to see closer to full strength Nets at some point. I, I agree with you that as of right now, assuming reasonable health, I think they're the team to beat out there, especially because I don't trust the other two. But how do they all hit the regular season tape, especially when you think that none of them are probably going to be super threatened in the first round, depending on how a couple things break. But I wouldn't I wouldn't expect it based on what we know right now. Then kind of the, the next group. So Hawks, Celtics, Heat, prob- maybe Pacers, Knicks, Hornets. We'll kind of see who gets in there. Are there any of those teams that oh, a couple weeks from now that I understand better, that I believe in, that I think whether it's for this year moving forward, it's like, okay, that's where you're going to go. And interestingly, you brought up the Hornets. Like, I could see the Hornets simultaneously like not moving up in terms of seed, but also me feeling better about where they are depending on when they get guys back and where everything is going. Um, and and acknowledging that you know for some of those teams, the Pacers most notably, this season isn't the calibrator of where of where things are going. So I'm I, I would say the I'm more interested right now in the East than the West. But a part of why that is is because I think the last week or so, the last week or two, and then the beginning of the playoffs, it's going to be all West all the time for me. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, you know, we didn't talk much about the Knicks. The biggest reason I don't trust the Knicks is just the Thibodeau teams. They try really hard in the regular season and then don't in the playoffs as much. Well, they're, they're, they're really in another gear. Like, right. what, are, what are you going to expect? And also, like, the specific—I mean, RJ has been much better. Kudos to him. But the specific limitations offensively of this Knicks team, they can't really go anywhere because they can't change the personnel. Now, I've advocated for basically the whole damn year since I saw him play that quickly should start, but— there are defensive reasons and a couple other things, but that's not going to happen. But their starting five is going to have real tro- trouble scoring. And 
that, you know, like, yes, against certain teams in certain games, they can overcome that. I, the, I've been super impressed with their defensive talent and execution this year. But I think of them, you know, like you used to describe, I think it was described the Celtics as, as kind of like tryhards. I think of the Knicks yeah. as being kind of a modern vintage of that yeah. same concept. Yeah, they, they absolutely are. But I will say this. If it winds up being Knicks-Hawks, if they slide into the five, and it's Knicks-Hawks, that might be a little interesting. Like, that that could get real compelling in a hurry. The physicality of the Knicks, um, Trey in, in Madison Square Garden, like, that could be a lot of fun. So I'm excited about, like, you know, as much as this year has been, uh, quite frankly, a shit show, I think it's there's the playoffs are still set to be very, very entertaining and very interesting and compelling, um, even after Jamal Murray's unfortunate injury, which before was the biggest reason I was kind of excited to watch to see what Denver could do. But um, still think that's going to be a really fun run to the end of the season. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking time. Pleasure as always. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Matt Moore for taking the time to come on. You can read his work at the Action Network. You can also check out the BetCast that he does with League Pass. I watched it, I think it was last week, and really enjoyed really enjoyed it. And it's so fun. It's so different than the stuff that I do. I really appreciate it. And Matt, of course, does great work as he does in everything. And if somehow you don't already, you can follow him on Twitter at HP Basketball. And love having him on, love having these conversations. And it's a, they're always a great way to think about something in a way that I have not already. And for this, it was really the top of the league that I spent the most time on. And like, I'm like, how do I feel about these teams? And it wasn't doing a ton of stats research, though did do some, you heard some of that on the podcast, of course, but more just really searching my feelings and thinking about what do I believe from last year is real? What do I believe from this year is real? And I loved the conversation, loved everything about it, as I, I really do enjoy these with Matt. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe, download every episode in whatever podcast you choose, Spotify, Apple, really wherever you want to go. We really do appreciate it. Also, helping other people find the show. That can be leaving a rating, leaving a review in the podcast player. It's great if it's Apple, but really wherever. And telling other people about the show, whether it's a specific episode or the show in general. Like, hey, you might like this. That is much appreciated. And can also check out my other work, Nate and I are, of course, doing Dunked On, Going Strong, public episodes Sunday night slash Monday morning, and then Dunked On Prime the rest of the week. We also have Total Access where we do Discord chats and the pieces that we're reading and salary sheets and everything else. You can do any of those. Really do appreciate it. And you can check out the NBA cast that is Nate and I, like the bet cast that Matt Moore does, talking through League Pass, and you can watch the game and listen to us talk about the game. It has been our dream since we started the NBA cast and other iterations to be able to call a game and have you watch the game without having to sync up, and it is an absolute thrill to do that, and we love doing it with the NBA, and we'll be doing that the entirety of the regular season every Monday, and I'd like to tell you which game it is, but it always it, we, after last week when we had to change twice... Can't guarantee that, but you can always check out my Twitter feed at Daniel Rue and check that out there. If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it, and I'll try to reply. I'm not as great at that, I, I openly admit that, but I do read it. It's something I do every single day because uh, it matters to me, and I don't want to waste I don't want to waste your time in that respect, and I get things pretty regularly and do really appreciate it. And as expected, Real GM Radio will be back next week. I don't know what day, but I, I'm pleased that it will it will be here. And so hope you can join us then. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.